Hello, this is Tony Hart with another story from my podcast, Love from New York. This is my Pacino, De Niro, and Bruce Willis stories. Thank you, Joe Pep. There's one thing I can say I am totally happy about. I never wanted to be an actor. Never once. Not for one little moment, one second, one tiny iota of time did I want to be an actor. I do not have that in me, and I would like to thank the Lord, because, God, that is a giant scam. Oh, not for the stars, not for the few, the teeny tiny percent who make it to the top. They get the sweet green, baby. But for all the rest of them who want it so badly and never get it, not even a taste. And do you know why they don't get it? Because they're competing with millions of other people who want exactly the same thing. They never know how much competition they have. And they want it desperately. Back in the 1980s, I hung out with a bunch of friends at a theater in Greenwich Village called the Public Theater, run by a man named Joe Pep. Joe Pep was the man for whom the word impresario was coined. Joe was the impresario. He was one of those men who come out of nowhere with nothing and redefine the world, in this case, the theater world. Joe was a force of nature. He grew up in Brooklyn, no college. He discovered Shakespeare, got a flatbed truck, a bunch of actors, taught them Shakespeare plays, drove the truck to streets and parks, all over New York City and presented the plays, and presto, a legend was born. Joe believed in Shakespeare, and he believed kids, poor kids, not rich kids, should see what great theater is, and he turned that energy into a gorgeous five-theater building in Greenwich Village, that put the best new shows in New York on its stage, including Hair and Chorus Line. Joe found the best shows, and here's how he did that. I and a bunch of my buddies who worked at the public went way downtown one night to see one of our own put on a show he had written. And I mean way downtown down into the bowels of New York, the old immigrant section, the lower, lower east side, full of junkies and crack whores. We walk for blocks and blocks and finally arrive at the address, and the theater is in the basement. To get there, we had to go down old metal stairs in into what had probably been the coal room. We heard the crunch of crack vials as we carefully stepped down the stairs into the small performance space. There were maybe 20 metal folding chairs 
in rows in front of us with a couple of people seated in the front. As we made our way forward, our eyes became used to the dim light, and there he was, front row center, Joseph Papp, hoping to find genius that night. That was how he did it. Every night, Joe Papp was relentless. So I hung around the public and got to know all the little people, the ushers, the ticket takers, the backstage crew. I got to hang around because I was a gopher, an unpaid person who would gopher whatever they wanted, who would run errands, take over the concession stand when my girlfriend needed a break, man the box office, whatever. I loved it. I loved hanging around, seeing how a theater worked. Once, Mr. Papp saw me in the lobby and he yelled at me for something, probably to get out. But Joe yelled all the time. And as long as I wasn't costing him anything, he let me stay. One of my favorite stories of my time at the public was about Bobby De Niro. They all called him Bobby. I never heard a single person refer to him as Robert. Bobby was starring in a show at the public called Cuba and His Teddy Bear. Now, this was in 1986, and by then, De Niro was a major star. I mean, Academy Awards and a role in The Godfather and in Raging Bull. It doesn't get any more major than that. De Niro hadn't been on stage since the very early days when he was in shows off-off-Broadway. For him to go back on stage now was momentous. And the minute, the second the show was announced, tickets were sold out with people screaming because they didn't get one. Joe Papp loved it. He loved having stars in his shows. For all his toughness, having a star in one of his shows turned Joe Papp to mush. Anyway, De Niro had just begun rehearsals in one of the theaters in the public. Staff was never allowed to watch rehearsals, and everybody who worked at the public was dying to see De Niro, especially because there is a scene in Cuba and his teddy bear where De Niro wore a beach towel. He played a drug dealer, and for some reason, at one point, he walks on stage in a beach towel, and he's wearing fluffy pink slippers. Well, the rumor was that occasionally the towel fell off and De Niro was naked underneath. I always suspected that that was a joke the actors told the staff, but the rumor made everybody crazy to stick their head in the door and watch, but they wouldn't let anybody in except me. I was sitting in the lobby, and one of the actors stuck his head out of the door and called me over. He whispered, We need beer. He gave me a fistful of dollar bills. I ran across the street 
and bought as much beer as I had money for, which was quite a lot. These guys were thirsty. For some reason that day, I was wearing high heels. I staggered back to the theater with enough beer to float a boat, and I had so many beers in my arms, I had to kick on the door to let them know I was there. The actor opened the door and told me to come in and put the beer on a chair. I got inside the rehearsal room, and De Niro was there, and he was wearing clothes. But I got inside the rehearsal room, and I watched, and the public theater staff never forgave me. Okay, here's my second public theater story. I can't swear to you that this one is true. I have always thought that it could be one of those urban legends, like crocodiles in the sewer, but here it is. One of my girlfriends worked in the casting department at the public. Boy, that was when I was really, really glad I didn't want to be an actor, because the casting office, a big office, was wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling filing cabinets full of headshots of actors who had sent their pictures in when the public put out an actor call. There must have been tens of thousands of headshots in those drawers. The way it worked was that if the public had a play to cast, they put an ad in the weekly showbiz newspaper for picks and reds, and it nearly crippled the postman who delivered the mail. The notice would give the general things the play needed, like male, Italian, can play 30 to 40, like that. And every male with dark hair in a 500-mile radius would send in their photos. Anyway, my friend in the casting department had a great story. It seems that this sweet little lady named Jean had gotten a secretarial job at a casting agency, and she wormed her way up to assistant agent. This woman was typical of female casting agents, sharp but almost 1950s, kind of stuck in time, pudgy, a little dumpy, still put her hair up in curlers, you know. Jean went into the business because she loved actors. She knew a writer who was looking for some macho types to put in a play about men in a jail cell. She had seen an actor who had just done a show in a tiny theater someplace, and my guess is that she had a bit of a crush on him. She had introduced herself after the show and asked for his headshot, which she passed on to the writer, and the writer cast him. Then an agent from L.A. saw the actor in the show and told him to come to L.A. when the show closed. The actor was thrilled. This guy tended bar, like most actors, 
and he dropped Jean a note asking her to come by the bar some night and have a drink on the house. She did. They had a very nice time, and he took her to dinner, and then he took her home. He stayed the night. The sweet little lady went into work the next day and had a smile no one had ever seen before. Apparently, Bruce Willis is a very talented man. And now, Al Pacino. Everybody who works in New York theater adores Al Pacino. He went out of his way to be nice to the ushers, the ticket takers, the office staff. He even learned some of the names of the little people who worked for Joe Papp. He didn't ever pull rank like all the stars did. And Al was such a star. He was a massive Hollywood star. He was the godfather. And then there he was, in a little off-Broadway play in the part of some small-time gangster plotting a heist. The freaking godfather was right in front of you in a tiny theater, eight shows a week for a ticket price that was nothing. Al loved being on stage. And do you know the deal when you saw Pacino in a tiny theater? You shouldn't sit in the front row because Al spits. When he delivers his lines, the loud ones, his spit can travel ten feet. We all sat in the front row. We couldn't wait to get spat on by the Godfather. This is how cool he was. Once, Al's driver was in a play in a tiny theater, and it rained, and the lights went out. Al got a flashlight from the car and sat there in the front row and lit the whole show himself. We just loved that guy. I saw Pacino so many times. I must have seen him in a dozen shows in New York, maybe more, from tiny theaters on Bleecker Street to massive Broadway stages. He's intense no matter where he plays, and you can feel it. Pacino is a method actor, Strasburg the whole nine yards. They say that sometimes after a show, Pacino stays in his dressing room a while and cries. He has been so moved by what happened on stage. I saw him in Richard III, a play I hate. I walked out of versions of Shakespeare's Richard III because the character is so vile. Sometimes I just don't feel like going through the experience. Richard III was the hunchbacked king who killed the two little princes in the Tower of London. But I couldn't walk out of Pacino's version. He was so foul, so loathsome, so dark. As the embodiment of human evil, 
Pacino was mesmerizing. Lee Strasberg had said, Some actors play characters. Al Pacino becomes them. And on stage, in this Shakespearean drama, it was true. I really believed Pacino felt all those horrible things. He made a documentary about the play called Looking for Richard. Watch it yourself and tell me if you don't feel fear and loathing. So, are you kidding me? An actor who could be so rotten in character was the coolest, nicest, most considerate guy off stage? Well, here is a story for you. Now, when this happened, I wasn't on gopher duty at Pap's Theater that night, but a friend of mine named Annie, who was there, told me this story. Pacino had played at the public a lot. Joe Pap loved him. His Hamlet was a knockout, Bronx accent and all. Now, Pacino was at the public, starring in Julius Caesar and Joe Papp decided to throw himself a giant party, celebrating, what else, Joe Papp. This party was set to be spectacular. All the stars who had been in his shows, all the wealthy supporters of the public theater, and especially Al Pacino would be there. Papp knew that he could get every important person in town to show up for this party because they all wanted to meet Al Pacino. But Joe Papp made a mistake. He didn't invite the little people who worked for him, the ticket takers and the ushers and the backstage crew, the people who kept the public theater going. It wouldn't occur to Joe to invite the little people. His party was for the cream of the New York crop, the upper crust, the inner circle. Well, Al Pacino didn't like that. He didn't like that one bit. He must have gone to Joe Pat and voiced his displeasure. Would you turn the godfather down? And don't you just know that another party miraculously was planned, an earlier party, a private party, for the staff of the public theater only. Al Pacino hosted the party. In one of the small theaters, the little people enjoyed the best food. Excellent wines, wonderful music. They were treated like kings and queens, and El Pacino danced with the ladies. Now tell me, which party would you rather have attended? Me too. And that is why everyone in New York theater loves. Al Pacino.